This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. ...parents, and Chris Steyerwall breaks down the status of the third-party candidates, along with what Mick Mulvaney is hearing and where he thinks Nikki Haley goes from here. Thanks for being with us here on The Hill. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by the aforementioned Chris Steyerwald, News Nation political editor, senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Julia Manchester, of course, the national political reporter for The Hill and host of The Hill TV's What's America Thinking? Brad Howard is a Democratic strategist. And Mick Mulvaney, former Trump White House chief of staff, News Nation contributor as well. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. All right. Come on in. Thanks for being with us here on the Hill. And right off the top here, Donald Trump descending on D.C. today. The former president here trying to get the endorsement of the Teamsters Union, which has some 1.3 million members all across the country. Now, afterwards, he spoke to reporters for about 20 minutes or so, where he implored Republicans at points to kill any border deal that lets in thousands of illegal immigrants daily. If you're not going to get a great border bill, an immigration bill, don't do a bill. 5,000 people a day, that's a lot. That's like record-setting stuff. Trump also said he would kill another deal, the proposed sale of U.S. steel. I would block it. I think it's a horrible thing. When Japan buys U.S. steel, I would block it instantaneously. And the former president repeatedly suggested that he would reverse the Biden administration's electric vehicle mandate. The electric mandate is is a disaster. They don't go far enough. They cost too much. We don't have the materials to make them. One of the things that caught my attention, one of the final things that the former president said, his final words to reporters included this, quote, see you on the trail. Hello to you all. Nice to have you in. Is that what we're going to expect from Donald Trump and hear from Donald Trump here over the next, I don't know, 10 months or so? Well, that was uh, a, a chill version of Donald Trump. That was the that was the sedate. It was pretty monotone today from yeah, him. Yeah, and I'm guessing that it didn't go super with the team strength. <laughs> you think that's uh, what that was? Because otherwise he would be bing, ba 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 What do you think, Meg? Uh, first of all, I think that Blake has now started doing the hand motions when he, when he talks about Trump. <laughs> so we have, it's going to be huge. huge. <laughs> uh, it struck me as a little low, low energy. I agree with that. Mm. I don't necessarily think it's because it went bad with the Teamsters. Teamsters actually like him. The rank and file really like him. His trade policies, they really like. He did really well with union voters in both 2016 and 2020. But you're right. It wasn't, it wasn't the ordinary Trump. So I don't know if there was something else going on, but I did immediately jump to he had a bad meeting. With so what about, this, what about this play for the union vote? Uh, 2020, you, you referenced uh, President Biden, 56% of the union vote, Donald Trump, 40%. He does trail, but was closing the gap. I mean, part of the problem with the union vote is union households culturally, in terms of values, 
are more aligned with Republicans and sometimes Democrats on the social issues. So that's, and particularly in, in Ohio, where the state has gotten more socially conservative due to certain segments of the population leaving and certain remaining behind. So this culture shock has always kind of been an issue. And it started with Hillary's campaign. I was managing a campaign in Indiana statewide and talking to the labor workers and sent a note back to the Hillary campaign saying, we've got problems because <laughs> they, they're not excited about this campaign. I do think Joe Biden is the Democrat who can win a lot of those voters back. But it's going to be tough because what I saw today was a very concise, clear Donald Trump. I mean, there was no bird braid references. There was nothing like that. Right. Yeah, it was totally. And the messages yeah. were very simple, yeah. I thought, for complex issues. Now, a lot of them were impossible to achieve and are probably wrong and misguided, but <laughs> they were simple and easy to understand. National political reporter for The Hill, what'd you hear there? Look, what I heard was someone who's obviously making a play for these voters in very important states like Wisconsin and Michigan. You know, I've been focusing a lot on Michigan, how that's going to play for Biden and Trump. And Michigan is a tough spot for Biden right now. I think a lot of it has to do, obviously, with the Israel-Hamas war, how a lot of the Muslim voters are and Arab-American voters in Michigan are reacting to that. But I think for Trump to really... Uh, seize on that and seize on Biden's weaknesses in Michigan, he has to also appeal to those uh, other bucket of voters in Michigan, these union voters, and also in Wisconsin. I was talking to um, a Republican uh, pollster yesterday, and he said he thinks Wisconsin is the state we're not talking enough about in terms of a swing state. Real quickly, what are the three things he goes to the microphone? He talks about steel, he talks about the border, and he talks about EVs. These are all sweet spots for union voters. So Hmm. my guess is that's what the discussion was about. The Teamsters, uh, when Richard Nixon pardoned Jimmy Hoffa in 1971. Uh, he, Was he dead yet or not? Well, you're assuming he's dead? <laughs> uh, when, when he pardoned the, the massively corrupt uh, Teamsters boss, Jimmy Hoffa, pardoned him in 71. And that got the Teamsters endorsement for every Republican, except for... Gerald Ford in 1976 mm. until 1992. The Teamsters were a Republican endorsing union until 1992. They switched Democrats. They haven't been back since. Could they switch for Trump this time? Uh, it doesn't. It's not that many votes, but boy, with Trump, uh, with Biden having the UAW endorsement, this is a way for Trump to say, "Well, I've got, I've got union endorsements." Last too. 40 years, according to the uh, Labor Department, uh, union membership in this country fell from 20 percent of all workers to 10 percent. So it's a smaller voting block. But and that includes clearly service a- workers too, which are not necessarily the same demographic group. Yeah, and then I mean, Ford our service workers are very different electorate than up there. But you also got to consider the down ballot implications okay. in Michigan and Wisconsin, where we have competitive Senate races. So, by the way, here was the Biden campaign response to say, "Quote: Donald Trump pretends to be pro-worker, then side." with management and does nothing while factories close and jobs are lost. That from the Biden campaign earlier today. All right. Meantime, back here in Washington, the top Republican uh, in this town has seemingly had enough. The House Speaker Mike Johnson taking to the House floor today, rattling off a list of missteps that he thinks President Biden has made with immigration policy and the southern border. They have chosen disorder and chaos. They have ceded the homeland to the traffickers and the cartels. And the Department of Homeland Security has effectively become a taxi driver to just help traffickers complete the last few miles of their human smuggling operation. And they're making billions of dollars in the process. It's all absolute madness. Now, shortly after, the White House responded, imploring Republicans to strike a bipartisan border deal. Our challenge to House Republicans is this. Will you go against the very voices you typically listen to play a dangerous unconstitutional game? Or will you listen to what many of you yourselves have uh, have been saying? 
All right. Obviously, a lot going on with this border deal. A bipartisan group trying to put it together. Donald Trump today. You heard off the top there why he says there shouldn't be one. Mike Johnson, the House Speaker, went to the House floor and basically outlined why there's not going to be a deal. You texted me what today, Mick? Yeah, yeah. I was actually in the in the in the building today talking to some senior uh, Republican and uh, senior Republicans, and they had an attitude. It was really interesting to sit and chat with them. They really feel like they're going to keep the majority. And I don't know if it's because of the border. I don't know if it's because of inflation. But it's the first time I've heard that. I mean, the last couple of weeks, it's all been we can't govern. We need to go into minority, et cetera. Something has happened in just the last couple of weeks. When I see Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, on the floor giving that speech, I don't think that speech is intended for us. I don't think it's intended for the electorate back home. I think that speech is intended for his own membership. The Republicans may be coming together over the border after ripping themselves apart. What would, you, what would you say to folks who say, you know what, I heard Republicans for years, decades talk about we need something done at the border. And now they're saying the, the total opposite. No legislation. We don't need a deal. Is that what, what, is, is what, that what they're saying? Is that, or are they saying? Yeah, that, I mean, want, that's part of the criticism. Or are they saying we don't want a bad deal? I mean, that's, keep in mind, and this is something no one's been able to answer for me. Why can't Biden at least, with the authority that he has now and the money that he has now, at least get it back to where Trump was before COVID? I, I recognize it was different during COVID, different rules and so forth. But the border was not like this with Trump before COVID. Why can't Biden get it back there? And I think the Republicans can make some hay out of that. Yeah, certainly. But like, you know, first of all, I think it's pretty ironic to see Speaker Johnson outline someone else's missteps because he's had quite a few since he's taken the realm as speaker. But I agree with Mick in the sense that there's so much that's dividing the House Republican conference at the moment. He sees this as an opportunity to unite them behind an issue that is pretty well unifying in the party and to allow him to continue to negotiate on the must-pass pieces of legislation like government funding that we've got. At, at Steyerwald has that look on his face like he thinks we're both crazy. Look at that No, no, no. I don't think, I think you're both right. Uh, but is that, is that what that look is? But I, but I, but I also think that I don't foreclose the possibility of some legislation here. Yeah. Uh, and right. here's why. The louder they howl, the closer they are is a typical is, is, is typical Hill talk, right? So the more the rhetoric escalates, the more likely there is to be a bill, because the only way that you get a bill is if the speaker can say, I beat him in the face. I pummeled them with a bowling pin. I threw him down a flight of stairs. I fought and fought and fought and fought and got this. We haven't seen the bill yet. Right. We don't know what's in it. But we do know that this is sort of how legislation is supposed to work, which is Democrats want Ukraine funding. Republicans want border funding. That's how it's supposed to work. I think that it's a slim chance that it will succeed in an election year. But the very fact that we're still talking about it and the very fact that he's howling suggests to me that it's a live, a live ball. Does this, does this happen? The government funding comes up in the beginning of March. Right. Is that where this happens? I mean, potentially. But I'm cu- curious to see what the political implications are of such legislation. So in the case that, you know, something is passed, can Trump still, you know, howl and complain about the yes. situation at the South? border when you have, I mean, do Democrats take credit for that? How does that work? So I'm curious. Well, and I'll say two things. Number one, this, again, this is just a border bill. It doesn't address comprehensive immigration. Right. There's plenty of the Republicans to keep. And secondly, the, the thing that gives me the most hope here is Kirsten Sinema. The senator, oh, yeah, you, you, you were with her recently, right? I had a chance to talk to her Tell me about, about immigration reform, and she's a border state independent that caucuses with the Democrats. But she, her view is that she wants to make it tough, tougher penalties on those who cross the border, particularly repeat offenders, something the Republican House bill doesn't address. And so Sinema has shown an ability to get things done and to negotiate and get results. 
and give the president some wins here. You look at immigration and other things. So I think she's the glue here that ultimately gets something across the finish line. All right, come on in, uh, Republican Congressman from the state of New York, Anthony Diaz-Pazito. He is also a member of the Homeland Security Committee. Congressman, thanks for being back here on the Hill. Often as you are, you've been listening to some of this. Do you want a deal? You want a border deal, yes or no? I want to secure the border. That's what I want. I, I, it's, I think it's insane that we've uh, heard now from uh, from Democrats and, and partisans who have said, you know, the Republicans have done nothing. It's about time that you step up to the plate and do something, work with Democrats. And, and I mean, if you look at the deal, I mean, they still want to allow millions of people to come across our southern border. And the question that I continue to ask is, we sent H.R. 2 over to the Senate uh, back in May, and it sat and collected dust on Chuck Schumer's desk until recently. And now I'm not saying that everything in that bill was right. I'm not saying that we needed to agree on everything. But the border has been an issue since Joe Biden has taken office, and it's gotten worse every day since. We are setting records, and they're not ones that we should be proud of. And the fact is, is that back in May, Chuck Schumer and the Senate should have gotten in touch with, with the House of, of Representatives, and we should have had a conversation. We should have began negotiations. We should have began speaking about how to secure our border. But instead, okay. they waited till now, when they're looking at, uh, on, at polls, we've entered an election year, and they realized that Biden's uh, poll numbers are in the dumpster, and it's about to ignite. You say the numbers are nothing that uh, we should be proud of. Wall Street Journal editorial board, as you are uh, one of the folks who want to move forward with the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas, the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal, right-leaning, says that should be nothing that anyone is proud of. Quote, impeaching Mayorkas achieves nothing. Grandstanding is easier than governing, and Republicans have to decide whether to accomplish anything other than impeaching Democrats. Mr. Mayorkas is an easy political target, but impeaching him accomplishes nothing beyond political symbolism. They are essentially saying that you and your colleagues are grandstanders and are wasting your time, Congressman. You would say what? The last time a cabinet secretary was impeached was in 1876, and we heard it mm -hmm. over and over again yesterday from my de Democrat colleagues that this is all about policy and not about uh, the law. Well, it's about the law. The fact is that Secretary Mayorkas has violated his oath. He took an oath to protect and serve this country and protect it from enemies, foreign and domestic. He's failed. He took an oath that he would follow the laws set forth by Congress. Not only has he failed that, he's intentionally not followed those laws. He's lied to Congress, and he's had, I mean, you talk to Customs and Border Patrol agents, you talk to Homeland Security investigators, and these are their words, not mine. They testified in front of the Homeland Security Committee, and we've heard from Homeland Security investigators who have said they are no longer conducting investigations, but instead, they're working along the border, making sandwiches for their colleagues. That's the country you know, we that heard we want to live in. I think Secretary Mayorkas has failed this country, and he deserves to be impeached. As you know, Congressman, you are in a swing district for, for the audience at home and those listening to us on Sirius XM. Your district is, is one of the ones to watch. And we heard from the former president today talk about why there should not be a border deal as far as we know it as it's constructed right now. We saw Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, on the floor today outlining some of that as well. Does Donald Trump's position right now, Congressman, on the border help or hurt your reelection chances in your district? 
I think Donald Trump, when it comes to the border, is standing for the American people. If you look at polls anywhere throughout this country, you, you made a perfect point that my district is one that Joe Biden won in 2020 by 16 points. It is on the top of the minds of people that live in my district. It is the top, when people are polled, it's the top issue facing these communities. And these are communities where Democrats far outnumber Republicans, but yet it's the issue that's on their mind. And we are right. We shouldn't be uh, just settling because the Senate says so. Honestly, the, the deal that we've read so far and the numbers that they're, uh, that they're proposing of migrants coming across our southern border in this so-called deal doesn't seem like a okay. deal to me. It seems like a surrender. Congressman, got to leave it there. Congressman D'Esposito from New York. Uh, New York, thanks again, as always. Appreciate it. Thank you. Stay safe. Yep, you got it. Uh, one thing that I heard there, I don't know if you picked up on it, H.R. 2 is what House Republicans say we need, we need, we need. He's saying, and he's a moderate Republican, I'm not saying we need everything that is in H.R. 2, and I wonder if that's where this goes, to your point earlier. Yeah, and uh, our, our wise friends and colleagues here have pointed out that once everything get, gets jammed up into a uh, continuing resolution to fund the government and everything else is going on, then maybe you get a little piece of it, a little from column A, a little from column B. My goodness, we might see some governing going on. We might see a little legislation. Wouldn't that be exciting, Joy? Right. We could do, for, for a change. <laughs> for a change, yeah. no, especially in an election year. I like know. I said, you're, you, politics is playing into this. All right. <laughs> Still to come here from the Hill on the other side of the break, Chris Steyerwalt breaks it down oh. on third-party candidates. What does it mean? right now with RFK Jr. coming up, the polling, where he's on the ballot, where he's not. Chris breaks it down. People have taken your idea and they've turned it into a nightmare for the American people. And social media safety taking center stage today up on Capitol Hill. Mark Zuckerberg, did you see this moment? That right there. He was asked, do you want to apologize, Mark? And he stood up and he did what he said and who he said it to when The Hill returns. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is signaling that he may be open to running for president as a candidate for the Libertarian Party. So how does one go from running in the Democratic primary to then launching an independent bid to possibly jumping in with the Libertarians? Steyerwalt here to break it all down. Chris? Um, in... The election where uh, Teddy Roosevelt uh, lost the Republican primary to William Howard Taft, large and in charge, William Howard Taft. You know what he did? He walked right across town and he held his own convention and started the Progressive Party, the Bull Moose Party, that same day in Chicago. There's plenty of history around the idea of making it up as you go along when it comes to third parties. People do it all of the time. So the big consideration for most of the past year when it comes to third parties has been no labels. 
the groovy, uh, ice your own cupcake kind of whatever you want it to be party that promises that it's going to offer a great bipartisan alternative to Donald Trump uh, and Joe Biden if that happens, a safety valve. Okay, they've been at it a long time. How are they doing on ballot access? Take a look. Here you go. Should be a map of the United States. There it is. Appropriately purple, uh, you see there. Uh, and you also see that they're on the ballot in some key states, right? They're there in Arizona, they're there in Nevada, and they're there in North Carolina, which will be three of the most competitive states in November. Now, you know what you don't see there? Any way that a no-labels candidate could win the presidency outright, that could win 270 electoral votes, certainly. Uh, but the premise, of course, is, well, somehow we'll throw it into the House of Representatives and then something, something, and a wonderful bipartisan presidency uh, ex- uh, exits. Now, we've also heard a lot about the aforementioned RFK Jr. Uh, he of gravelly voice and... Um, bespoke ideas on many issues uh, tailored to his own set. So he's going to run as an independent uh, one state, uh, just Utah, which has the most generous ballot access. They, they are among the easiest to get on the ballot for. That's why uh, Eglish McMuffin uh, was able to get on the ballot there uh, in 2020. And it's Utah. We love you, Utah. Stay weird. Um, so that one state is not going to be enough to get uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on the ballot and in the discussion. But look at this. Look at this. Look. Oh, my gosh. Look at the libertarians. They are all over the place. Um, they're, on the ba- on the, they're on the ballot in six battleground states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, North Carolina, and Wisconsin. And they will be on the ballot in more states because some states have different rules, different times. But because the Libertarian Party has been on and around and getting votes for president in so many states for so long, they'll be on the, by, by the end, they'll be on the ballot in almost all 50 states and certainly in competition for 270 electoral votes. So why would environmental activist uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., uh, uh, husband of Hollywood celebrity, why would he align himself with the Libertarian Party, which historically has been about small government, has been about limited government, has been about uh, sort of a Ron Paul uh, uh, nuke the Fed and uh, let people drink raw milk? Why, what's the, what, what is the answer there? And the answer is ballot access for, for him. But for Libertarians, the answer is they want attention. They want a candidate that's going to get out there and get in the discussion and it could generate a decent share of votes. RFK Jr. could do it. Libertarians are open to it. I bet you he gets down with it. My my hmm. hunch from the beginning is that Robert F. Kennedy Jr., uh, the Libertarians are going to have their convention in Philadelphia uh, this summer. And I bet you that by the time that comes around, he will be he will be drinking raw milk and <laughs> he, he, he'll be feeling the vibes. The Kennedy Barrel campaign breaks it down. The Kennedy campaign announced today that he raised seven million dollars in Q4 of last year. And did you hear Donald Trump of- blow his absolute stack when somebody asked him if he would uh, have RFK as his running yeah. date? Well, let let me point it to historical uh, story there with with Teddy Roosevelt. Not only did he not become president, he got shot. (laughs) So, like, he lived. He He lived. Yeah, he lived. But uh, (laughs) thankfully, because of a speech, but what I will say, what I will say is, I I find it hard to believe. Like, he, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., can be put on the ballot, and there is a libertarian 
like uh, Line. dedicated group that's yeah. like three to five percent in most of these states. He does not have the charisma of a Teddy Roosevelt to really go out and grow that number in any meaningful way. And on the issues, the libertarians think he's too progressive on gun control. Well, you know why the Democrats Don- don't think he's progressive enough. You know why Donald Trump does not want RFK Jr. to be the libertarian nominee is because if you want so with the danger with no labels for Joe Biden is that if you want to lodge a protest vote and you're a normie, right, yeah. that you can say, well, I couldn't vote for either of these two. But I guess I, but if I park a vote with no labels here, I'm saying I, I want things to be nice and normal and better. But if you are a Trump voter and you want the chaos, if, if bringing the pain and upsetting the, the order is your goal, RFK Jr. does that. That's a vote so what, that does that. What so do you, that hurts Trump. What do you make of this Quinnipiac University poll, though, today? Uh, general election matchup, not just head-to-head, but all, five candidates. Biden, Trump, uh, RFK Jr., West, and Stein. It shows President Biden up by two on Donald Look Trump. Look at Cornell West hair, though. <laughs> yeah. you, think that's, you think that's accurate? Yeah, Jill Around Stein's the table here. real quick, you he's think that's accurate? Or? 3%, the poll's 100% in the hair. <laughs> but let me, like, in any scenario where there's third party involved, I think it's to the benefit of Donald Trump if it gets tossed to the Electoral you College. you agree to that or no? And that's uh, because every uh, state gets one vote in the Electoral College, in the House. If, if it goes to the House. If it goes right. to the House. Okay. But I've seen, I've seen 100 of those polls. Yeah. It looks like the general trend is that Biden and Trump are really, really close head-to-head, and Biden and Trump are really, really close every time you put a third or fourth or fifth person on there, which means they're drawing equally from both sides. All right. Right. Still much more ahead here on The Hill. Top social media CEOs testifying before Congress earlier today about online safety. How many times have we already seen this happen? It's been going on for years, really. So will big tech or Congress actually do something this time around? And what that man said today. Plus, one year after the toxic train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, and President Biden, the White House says, now President Biden is finally going to Ohio. But is it too little too late? Stay with us. Both Warren and Lindsey Graham have almost nothing in common. I promised her I would say that publicly. We have sort of parked that because Elizabeth and I see an abuse here that needs to be dealt with. Mr. Zuckerberg, you and the companies before us, I know you don't mean it to be so, but you have blood on your hands. Welcome back to The Hill. That, of course, the South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, the ranking member of the Judiciary Committee. Now, that committee earlier today held an emotional hearing with the CEOs of five of the biggest tech companies in the world, social media companies. The executives grilled over concerns that they are not doing enough to protect teenagers and young children online. Now, the hearing was in front of a packed house, including several parents showing photos of their children who were affected by this issue. A powerful backdrop, while senators scolded the CEOs for their lack of action. Some of these parents you can see holding up the pictures of their children who lost their lives. There was also a moment in which Senator Josh Hawley pushed Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg to apologize to those very families. Would you like now to apologize to the victims who have been harmed by your product? Show them the pictures. Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people? I, I, I'm sorry for everything that you have suffered. That, the Meta CEO earlier today. Uh, a heart-wrenching scene when you see the pictures, when you hear Mark Zuckerberg there, what do you see, what do you hear from him? Do you remember what uh, Google now made his corporate motto was? 
when they first started? Has been Fa- Facebook or Google? Uh, it's, I'm sorry, what, uh, he's Facebook. Yeah. Okay. I lose track because Google's alphabet. I'm sorry. It was the it was the other ones. Don't be evil. Um, and yeah. that's that's what they've turned into, right? That, listen, it's very powerful stuff. You got you have to give them credit. Um, people will parse the language when you apologize to people. You don't apologize for what's happened to them. You apologize for what you have done. You don't say I'm sorry you've had to go through this. You say I'm sorry for what I have done. Again, to be parsing that out. But so, it, but I think generally speaking, it's a pretty powerful mo- moment. Yeah, I mean, I think too. Like these these are tough issues to solve. I mean, like. The, the social media companies can and should do more, and I think there's legislation out there, and I hope those legis- pieces of legislation get just as much airtime. But also, too, this is a law enforcement problem, too. Like, our law enforcement are dramatically underfunded. They don't have the tech capability to help prosecute. So even if these social media companies are turning over, like, suspected people who are uh, you know, using it to abuse yeah. children, sometimes nothing happens because they do, the law enforcement, especially local ones, don't have the capability to do this. And so I think this is also a law enforcement funding issue. I'm curious about the precedent this sends to other uh, social media CEOs and tech executives. I mean, we've seen the CEO of TikTok on Capitol yeah, he Hill, was there today. Elon Musk, all of that. So what, what do they go, do going forward? Does uh, Zuckerberg's apology, even though I think you're correct in how he <laughs> parsed his words, you know, does that put more pressure on them? Uh, during the uh, Spanish Inquisition, the way that you uh, got yourself a swift and merciful death was by an auto de fe, an act of faith, an expression of faith. You had to say, yes, I, I, I am a converso. I have changed my mind. Watching Josh Hawley, uh, ber- uh, this Elmer Gantry figure berating uh, the, you will stand up and you will apologize to those people. What? Legislate something. Yeah. Pass, exactly. so, okay. pass a law. Don't drag these people in here so that you can get the clip that you want. I made him do it. Well, it doesn't count if you make him do it. Hold that thought because the, the soundbite that really caught my attention along those lines was this one right here. I just want to get this stuff done. I'm so tired of this. It's been 28 years, what, since the Internet. We haven't passed any of these bills because everyone's double talk, double talk. It's time to actually pass them. And the reason they haven't passed is because of the power of your company. Oh, the power of the company. Is but then there's one? also Congress, right? Is, is the the company Mark, Zuck- Mark Zuckerberg, okay? He testified twice in April of 2018, October of 2019, three times in the summer, end of July, July uh, 2020, July, October, November, March of 2021, January of 2024 today. You see the timeline there. And how many laws have been passed? Look at the bottom right of your screen. That is a fat who zero. Who is the number right. one proponent? What has Mark Zuckerberg said in each of those appearances? Regulate me, regulate me, please, 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 please regulate me. Because if you're an industry leader, you want to stop competition and you want to pull the ladder up behind you. And he wants the kinds of advantages that companies like AT&T and big airlines and others have, which is they have dominant spaces in highly regulated industries. He wants to be regulated. The reason they don't pass legislation is that this is really what they're here for. Lindsey Graham is here for this. Josh Hawley is here for this because these are good boogeymen to beat I'm up. In- you can thrash them around. This is like cig- this is like the cigarette companies of or of your. You just beat them up and people are like, oh, that was so great the way you were really mean to that guy. I'm old enough to remember when they brought the TikTok CEO in and said, yeah, yeah, they went after him nonstop. Yeah. nonstop. That was last summer. And yeah. what's been passed? Zero. Zero. And so why don't they my, just, Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, in my experience, there's... 
Democrats in particular want to kind of hold everything together and do one big overhaul. We don't have to do that here. There are so many good pieces of legislation that are introduced by members that can help. For instance, there's one by Padilla and Wyden, Senators Wyden and Padilla, about investing in Child Safety Act that could help protect children right now, and it would have the votes to pass. Let's put it on the floor and move forward. But I think sometimes Democrats think if they piecemeal it out, they're missing the chance for larger reform. That's clearly never going to happen here. Let's, let's regulate and pass laws that add more restrictions. All right. Still to come here from the Hill. President Biden will head to East Palestine, Ohio, to mark one year since a toxic train derailment endangered that community. One year. So why has it taken so long? And how about this question? Should Donald Trump win a Nobel Peace Prize? Who is raising that possibility? Sounds legit. The case they're making. (laughs) Stay with us. The Hill is back in a few. Plus, by the way, on the other side of the break, hot mic with Mick. What Mick is hearing, what Mick is thinking about right now with Nikki Haley. Hot mic with Mick coming up. Stay with us. Play and Alexa. A message from Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous. I came to Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous overweight and depressed. I was dieting, binging, stealing food, and lying about it for years. For help, call 781-932-6300 or visit foodaddicts.org. I knew I had a weight problem. I didn't know I was addicted to food. The FA program gave me a healthy body. I'm free from obsessing about my weight or food. Call FA 781-932-6300 or visit us on our website at foodaddicts.org. Are you ready to take the next step in your career and work for an award-winning company with a family-friendly culture? Shaniga Agile Real-Time Solutions, CARS, is looking for more than 200 IT professionals to help support their upcoming work with the Navy in Patuxent River, Maryland. CARS is a 2023 Washington Post top workplace and a top 10 military-friendly employer. Join the talent network today at carscareers.com. That's C-A-R-S-Careers.com. Stand Up to Cancer asked leading cancer researchers to speak about why they do their work. Two words come to mind for me. One is responsibility. The other is purpose. It's just so inspiring to do research that impacts human lives. Stand Up to Cancer has been a critical partner in advancing research for cancer. Cancer research saves lives. So please help us fight in this battle against cancer. Be a part of the team that ends cancer at StandUpToCancer.org. As a firefighter, my job was about saving lives. I never thought one day I would be fighting for mine. After spending his career answering the call to save others, Ken was diagnosed with ALS. Now he's facing his biggest battle for more time. For 70 years, Muscular Dystrophy Association has been helping people live longer and more independent lives. I wouldn't be living as good of a life with ALS if it wasn't for MDA. Learn more at MDA.org. You're listening to News Nation, America's fastest growing cable news network, covering a full range of perspectives from across the country. Thanks for listening to News Nation on the Go. I'm Ashley Banfield. To get America's fastest growing news channel on your screen, go to joinnn.com. Thanks for listening to News Nation on the Go. I'm Leland Vitter, delivering fact-based, unbiased news from all sides. 
Every child deserves the best teachers, facilities, and academic programs to set them up for success. At Milton Hershey School in Hershey, Pennsylvania, we make that a reality for children from qualifying families who are looking for greater opportunities. Milton Hershey School enrolls students from pre-K through 12th grade from across the United States to live and learn on a beautiful state-of-the-art campus with all costs covered. Are you looking to set your child up for success or know a child who could benefit from Milton Hershey School? Learn more at mhskids.org slash admissions. No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811, brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Hello, I'm Chuck Reddick, Commissioner of the Internal Revenue Service. We're working hard to get ready for tax filing season. You know who else is working hard? Identity thieves. Keep your computers and your mobile phones secure. Use antivirus software and strong passwords. Look out for email scams. Secure your home Wi-Fi with a password. Stay safe when you shop online. Look for HTTPS in the web address. See irs.gov for details. sense of theme here? Your favorite sitcoms from the 80s and 90s are all in one place. Rewind TV. Just go to rewindtv.com and check it out. Uh, Ahead of Saturday, which marks one year since a Norfolk Southern train, as you know, derailed in that town, spilling toxic chemicals and devastating the East Palestine community. Now, the president will meet with residents affected and assess the ongoing cleanup efforts. You know, this took a year for him to get there. The White House kept saying he was going to go, he was going to go, he was going to go. Why so long? And if this was a swing state... Would he have gone earlier? Well, we were talking about this before about, you know, if he could actually win Ohio. And he Ohio can. is he basically. Can. He, can. he cannot, okay. yeah. No. Ohio is, for all intents and purposes, a red state. But we do know that there's a big high profile Senate race there. The last statewide uh, elected Democrat in Ohio, Sherrod Brown. So my question about this is does Sherrod Brown show up with Biden? What's the political calculation on that? Put your chief of staff hat on. What do you make of this? Should have been there a long time ago. Um, now, if you're going to go after this long of a delay, the anniversary date is really the only window because that's what you're going. Uh, and the message is fairly clear, which is we, we haven't been here. We didn't want to make a big show of it. Everybody else who came early has now left. We're here and we've been working on this back in Washington, D.C. The whole it's not it's not great. It's not the perfect message. It's pretty much the best you could do under these circumstances. Does the show Ohio is no longer a swing state by the actions? I mean, look, I, I think everyone... Give in. Any, give in. It any, feels, any, feel good when you get it. Any reasonable political analyst knows Ohio's up the map. Right. Why has it known that? My, my, I, I think if you're going to go, I agree with Mick, this is the time to go because what's, what's sometimes bad about these disasters, and I used to work for the mayor of New Orleans, is that people were there in the very beginning. Like you were there for Katrina, right? Well, no, I was there for the 10th anniversary of Katrina. Okay. But don't big don't put that on him. Yeah, the problem is when you have such a bad disaster, like where infrastructure is fundamentally messed up, like, it is a long-term commitment. And so I, let's not under... I know there's a politics here, but let's not underestimate the value that this is going to mean to the family. You are Sherrod Brown's chief of staff or his political director. Do you tell him to go or not go? Uh, you go. I, I think you go. In totally. a disastrous situation, you push politics aside, you go. Well, and, and also you say, I made it. Yes. Right? Take credit for right. it. What, what you're saying is, I... And, and what Biden, because he's good at this, 
will say when he gets there is, Sherrod Brown has been in my ear yeah, talking about this, and I, I, you know, he he won't let me forget for a second. And uh, yeah. and I bet the Republican governor is there as well. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, earlier today I spoke with the Democratic congressman from Pennsylvania, Chris Deluzio. The derailment happened less than a mile over the state line from his district. It borders East Palestine. I asked him about the president's upcoming visit and whether it's simply too late. Look, I think the most important thing uh, the Biden administration has been doing and can do right now is to continue to hold this railroad accountable, but also to put the pressure on Congress to get something done. You know, I lead the Railway Safety Act in the House. It's bipartisan. We've got the senators from Ohio and Pennsylvania leading in the Senate. Uh, it is a travesty that we haven't seen this bill on the president's desk yet. I'm pushing as hard as I can. Folks want to know that these railroads are going to be held to account and forced to operate more safely, protect our communities. Well, what, yeah, what would that bill do if you could tell me about it? Because I know it's made it out of committee, but hasn't made it out of the House or in the Senate. I think the president supports it. Yeah, and look, Secretary Buttigieg was in western Pennsylvania just last week, again reaffirming the need uh, to pass this bill to give the Department of Transportation that he leads more authority, more power. So one of the parts of the bill will stiffen the fines that railroads have to pay when they break the rules, when they aren't operating safely, and of course giving the Department of Transportation more power uh, to require stricter safety rules when they're transporting hazardous materials, hazardous chemicals, like what we saw in East Palestine derailment, and much more. Many of these provisions, from two-person staffing and the rest, these are things we've known about for a long time. They shouldn't be controversial. The only controversy here is they might make the railroads skim a little off those fat profits, but they'll keep communities like ours safer, which we got to do. You know, Congressman, I look at both sides of the aisle here. President Biden took him a year to get to East Palestine. On the Republican side, the, the former Congressman Bill Johnson, he's no longer representing that district. He took a high paying job at a university there in the state of Ohio. So when you look at it taking the president quite some time and even East Palestine not even having representation right now, has Washington failed that area Look, as think, you see it. I, I think the failure right now has been the inability to move my bill, Railway Safety Act, through the House and the Senate. The Senate at least has had a committee vote and it's cleared that hurdle. We still have Republican senators holding it up with the filibuster threat. In the House, I've got Republican co-sponsors along with my Democratic colleagues, but the Republican leadership has not advanced my bill. That is a failure. Secretary Buttigieg and others in the Biden administration have been clear they need more authority and more power to make these railroads follow stricter rules. We've got to get this done. All right, got to leave it there. Congressman Deluzio, thanks for being back here on the Hill. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Blake. All right, some final, uh, some final time here with the panel before we go. Mick Mulvaney, want to get your thoughts on a few, thing, uh, a few things. Your piece in the Hill today, talk to me about it. It says, uh, Nikki Haley chooses refreshing honesty in South Carolina, your home state. Yeah, they asked Nikki this weekend on television how she had to do in South Carolina. Did she have to win? And she gave a really good answer, I thought. She said, I don't have to win, but I have to do better than I did in New Hampshire. It's a really insightful answer. She lost by 11 points in New Hampshire. She's going to have a lot of people telling her to keep going, keep going, keep going, because she's the only never-Trumper in the race right now. Those people have nothing to lose. The people who are writing her big checks, the people who hate Donald Trump, have nothing to do nothing to lose if Nikki Haley burns out. If Nikki Haley loses South Carolina by the current 20 or 30 that she's losing by, this hurts her 
big time going into 2028. If I'm Ron DeSantis, if I'm Sarah Huckabee Sanders, if I'm Greg Abbott, and I see Nikki Haley lose South Carolina by 20 points, I'm using that to help raise money against her in 2028. So she's got a lot at risk. And I think the answer she gave was really a rare honest answer from a politician when it comes to getting out of race. Remember, you, we were all together on uh, Iowa. You were in Iowa freezing your butt off. We were here. <laughs> and Vivek Ramaswamy was on the show, and he says, yeah. I'm going to stay in the race. I'm in New Hampshire. I'm in through South Carolina. I'm in through Super Tuesday. I'm going all the way to the convention. And he was out two hours later. And it didn't surprise anybody, because we all know politicians lie about that stuff. Nikki, I think, gave an honest answer. Okay. And she, she should benefit from it. You have a lot, of, uh, a lot of titles. One of them includes the former head of the Blockchain Caucus. Oh, yeah. He started the thing. Headline, crypto heads toward 2024 election with $85 million war chest. Is this a thing? It is a big thing, and it's not just this. Okay, This is one group. There's actually another group called the Digital Chamber of Commerce that's raising money on its own. So this is just the beginning. The names on that list are the real names in the blockchain crypto sort of world, but they're not the only big names in the blockchain crypto world. So there's going to be a lot more money on this issue. I think, blockchain, I think crypt, uh, Bitcoin went past $43,000 yeah, right this, this month. Every single time that goes up another $1,000, there's a lot more money to spend in Washington, D.C. You want to talk to me about the house gym? Because how about this headline for Politico? It's not the gym. House Republican reported for doing pull-ups at the top of the Capitol Dome. Yeah, the Capitol Visitor Center has reported Rich McCormick for doing pull-ups at the top of the scaffolding there. What, what's that area like? It's not the gymnasium. Let's be yeah, okay. clear. And I, I, I've been up there a couple of times. Okay. I mean, we've all been up there a couple of times. I don't really think he was hanging over the edge, but they said it was several hundred feet in the air. I'm not sure if the guy was drinking or what the thing was. I mean, I, I don't know why you do this other than to get a little splash in the news. Uh, well, but, uh, they seem to have a lot of free time on their hands. So yeah, boy, that's, what's it like up there? You ever been up there? It's, it's, it's surprisingly there, yeah. raw. It's, it's surprisingly what? Raw. You still see the original yeah. uh, Capitol yeah. Dome, and then you have all this. You're climbing like metal rods ah. to get to the top, basically. When you stand in the rotunda, look up, and there's a railing yeah, yeah. on the side. When you're at that railing, you look down, you can't see the walls because yeah. of the arch huh. of the dome, so it looks like you're floating in midair, and it's a little freaky. Um, and it, yeah, I've, I've had take people up there when I was a congressman who've actually become sick to their stomach because it right. is so it, intense. It, it, I've never had anybody do push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> and women can't wear heels because you're literally climbing these right, little iron wow. steps. All right. Got to leave it there with y'all. <laughs> Fun time. Great time. Thanks for being with us. Uh, appreciate it. On the other side of the break, Leland Vitter joins me. And how about this question? Is the fourth time the charm? Former President Trump is up for a Nobel Peace Prize once again. So who nominated him and what's it all about? Leland joins me and The Hill returns on the other side of the break. Stay with us. Special guest, Bill O'Reilly on Cuomo. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill O'Reilly. TV's liveliest, most honest debate. Wait, wait. Cuomo, you're... you talk the whole time. Tonight at 8, 7 central. News Nation has an opportunity. Only on News Nation. All right, welcome back. Before we say goodbye, here's a story that caught our eye. The Nobel Peace Prize's nominating window closes today. And while most nominees are kept secret, we know at least one name on the list. Former President Donald Trump. He was nominated by the GOP Congresswoman Claudia Tenney. Now, in a statement, the Congresswoman says, quote, The valiant efforts by President Trump in creating the Abraham Accords were unprecedented and continue to go unrecognized by the committee, underscoring the need for his nomination. Now, the Abraham Accords as the reason for uh, the nomination from the Congresswoman. As you might remember, bilateral agreements signed by Bahrain, the UAE, Morocco, Sudan, involving Israel. 
Joining me now, the host of On Balance, Leland Vitter. Donald Trump for a Nobel Prize? Uh, not his first nomination. Not his first. No. I think this is the fourth time. Fifth time or something for this, there, yeah. this, something like this. I think it was because Claudia Tenney could not nominate herself <laughs> for, amb- no, for ambassador to Paris <laughs> okay. once, once Donald Trump becomes right. president. Look, I still would contend, and I think as somebody who had lived in the Middle East for a long time, mm-hmm. I have standing to say this. It was the most in retrospect, predictable possibility of something that could happen and something nobody thought possible. Um, and because Donald Trump flipped the way everyone looked at the, at the Middle yeah. East on its head, he started talking about Iran mm-hmm. rather than the Palestinians and to completely flip the narrative. In the you know, one, one of the interesting things for me covering the Trump administration for all four years was that the first presidential visit is always like, where are you going to yep. go? He went to Saudi Arabia and Israel. And I remember being a part of the press corps like, wait a minute, Saudi, Saudi Arabia and Israel, that's where we're going. But that was the first uh, move for the former president. It paid president. off big time. It, it did pay off big time for him. All right. Uh, by the way, looking forward to